It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome in. This is the Crimson Corner Podcast, and it's always powered by KSLSports.com. I'm your host and Utes Insider, Trevor Allen. I've got a jam-packed show for you guys today, and I know you're probably asking yourself, well, what is there to talk about? Utah isn't playing football in the fall, and we don't know what when they're going to be playing, and we also don't know anything about college basketball at this point. Well, there's still a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on out on the recruiting trails. There's also a lot going on around college football as far as some some of the news some of the reports that are coming out and then also I've got some thoughts on some of the recent goings on around college football regarding the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and then on top of that we're going to be doing something fun whenever we do an episode since it is during the football season technically uh, we can go back into the archives and talk about some of the games on this day in Utah football history. So we'll have that for you coming up as well. So it's always great to have you guys aboard. Again, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Trevor A. Sports. You can also follow KSL Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at KSL Sports. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram as well, I'm at Trevor Allen KSL. I'm starting to post a little bit more on that Instagram account. Still getting used to it. I'm more of a Twitter guy. Um... And I don't really post on Facebook. I more just follow the news that goes on as well. But Twitter's my number one source for social media. I still haven't gotten in, into TikTok yet. I don't know if you guys have yet. But I've heard great things. But I don't know if I'm ready to dip my toes in the TikTok waters yet. But for sure, trying to get more into Instagram. I've never really just taken pictures. I mean, that that's one of the things for me. I've always left that up to my wife. Um But now, once we get back into sports, uh, especially for Utah football, I'll be posting more on Instagram. So first, let's talk about some of the recruiting that's going on for the Utes. They just picked up a big-time commitment in four-star linebacker Mason Tufaga. He's a kid out of St. Louis High School in Honolulu, Hawaii. And he's a really legit linebacker. He is the number two prospect in the entire state of Hawaii, the 11th ranked uh, linebacker as far as the inside linebackers in the country and the number 278 prospect overall, according to the 24-7 sports composite. He's 6'1", 210 pounds, um, announced his commitment verbally to Utah on Monday on Twitter. You guys can read more about him over at kslsports.com. But just having watched this film, this kid is a hard hitter. He's very quick off the ball. 
he can run up to the line. He's really good at reading cadences and then getting into the backfield. I haven't really seen much of his hands because his film did not show any picks, at least his most recent film. But he's a kid who is, quite frankly, being compared to former Ute Pita Tamoy Penu, which is a really good comparison because he had a great career at Utah. If he can pan out to be as good or better than Pita Tamoy Penu, he's going to have a great career at Utah. The uh, primary recruiter was defensive line coach Lewis Powell with uh, secondary recruiter was linebacker coach Colton Swan, which Colton Swan has done a tremendous job in his short time at Utah as far as going out and finding some really good recruits. He joins Trey Reynolds and Jonah Ellis as other linebackers that have signed with Utah in the 2021 class. Some other offers that Mason Tufaga picked up includes Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Fresno State, Hawaii, Nebraska, Oregon, Oregon State, South Carolina, USC, and Utah State. And that now makes nine verbal commitments in the 2021 class. And the second four-star player he joins, Peter Costelli, the quarterback at a Mission Viejo, as the other four-star recruit for Utah. And then uh, the other recruits that are all three stars uh, verbal commitments in the 2021 class is running back Ricky Parks, defensive tackle Tavita Fotu, who is a Snow College transfer, uh, Trey Reynolds, as I mentioned, offensive lineman Coley Feu, wide out Demikio Nathan, D-end Fulami Puha, and obviously Jonah Ellis that I just mentioned earlier as well. So this is a big-time get for the Utes, and I think he's a kid who could, within the next year or two, come in and play right away. It's a little bit harder playing as a linebacker at Utah because they, they mainly play nickel. There are times where they'll go into the 4-3 and have three linebackers, but a lot of the time they usually just go two linebackers. So that, you know, we all know Devin Lloyd was going to be projected to be the starter at the one linebacker spot. Now the other one was to be determined. You have Andrew Mata'afa as an option, Nephi Sewell, Sione Lund. Those are guys that are options for Utah at that other linebacker spot, but obviously Devin Lloyd being the main guy at the linebacker position for the Utes whenever they play. And then on Tuesday was when coaches in college football could officially contact prospects from the 2022 class. Now, I know that they've already talked to them. They've already given them offers and things like that, but this is when they can officially talk to them. I don't know about the rules. It's kind of confusing to me that they can officially talk to them, but they've already received offers from, you know, a year ago and things like that. So if you guys go over to kslsports.com, I give the entire layout of all of the 2022 recruits that Utah has offered to this point. Now, on this podcast, I'm only going to go over the local recruits that are from the state of Utah because there's way too many of them from out of state, but I did list those in in the story over at kslsports.com. So, just quickly going through the 2022 recruiting class that Utah is going after from within the state of Utah. And that way you guys can kind of keep an eye on them, especially since they are playing football at the high school level here in Utah. They're already going into their fourth week. So the first one that uh, stands out is Darius Clemens. He's a kid from Portland, Oregon, who transferred to Pleasant Grove. He is a wide receiver. Um, He is already being contacted by Boise State and UCLA on the 1st of September, which was on Tuesday. He already picked up an offer from Utah on April 15th of this year. According to his Twitter account, he is a four-star prospect. He is ranked number one in the state of Utah and the 17th-ranked wide receiver in the country. He, he has picked up 25 offers, and many of them are Power 5 programs. 
And then you have another wide receiver, Luke Hyde, who is from Woods Cross. He, he's a kid who is kind of under the radar a little bit. But Utah came early to the table as far as giving him an offer. They offered him on October 10th, 2019. And this is a kid who's in the 2022 class. He is a, a three-star prospect, number eight in the state of Utah. Right now, Utah is his only official offer, but he is picking up interest from BYU, Cal, and Northwestern, as well as Stanford and Utah State. And then here's one that a lot of Ute fans should keep their eyes on. George Miley. He is a guard from Bingham High School. He has uh, tweeted one official offer that he picked up on on the first, which came from the UCLA Bruins. Um, He's also picked up a lot of interest from many programs on the West Coast. On June 19th, 2019, Miley picked up his first Division I offer, and that came from the University of Utah. Other schools that have sent offers to this uh, three-star prospect, he's also a a four-star prospect according to just 24-7 sports, but with the 24-7 sports composite, so there's a difference. There's just 24-7 sports where, where their analysts rank them. And then you have the 24-7 sports composite, which is everyone together. Um, Miley has picked up offers from USC, the Cornhuskers, Oregon, UCLA, Utah State, and Northwestern. Now, according to 24-7 sports, Miley is warm, and I'm doing that quote-unquote, to USC and Utah, which means he's interested in, in those two schools as of right now. And then another one who is a guard at, at Bingham, uh, Waylon Lapuajo. Um, to this point, he's only picked up one offer, and that's from Utah. He has not received a rating yet from 24-7 Sports Composite, but 24-7 Sports has given him a three-star rating. He has tweeted graphics that were sent from schools of interest from the 1st of September uh, from Boise State and Cal. He did get his offer from Utah recently on June 27, 2020. Now, here's another one to keep an eye on, and I think that this one's almost a lock to watch him to see how good he is. Lander Barton, he is an outside linebacker from Brighton. Uh, he is the younger brother of Jackson and Cody. He's getting a lot of attention from big-time programs. He is a four-star prospect that is ranked number three in, in the state, 25th-ranked linebacker as far as the outside linebackers in the entire country. Um, his offer from Utah came on January, 20, or January 7th, 2020. His other offers include Arizona State, as well as Nebraska, Oregon, Stanford, Washington, and Northwestern. And Colorado recently sent in their offer on the 1st of September. Now, having watched him a little bit, I think that his ceiling is very high. And you're wondering how high because Jackson had a great career at Utah playing on the offensive line, and Cody is now in the NFL. Both of them are in the NFL. Jackson it, uh, was on the Kansas City Chiefs roster when they won the Super Bowl. He was drafted, I think, seventh round was taken by the Colts and then moved over to the Chiefs, I think was on their active roster, but he could be on on their roster again this year. We'll see what happens. But Cody Barton was taken in the third round of the draft, and he already had a really good first year with the Seattle Seahawks. Now, just early on, again, we're in 2020. Lander Barton's a 2022 prospect. I think he could be better than Cody and that really says something. He's a kid who can fly to the ball, and he is physical. He's got the Barton genes for sure. And so I think that basically I would be surprised if he does not go to Utah and follow in his brother's footsteps. And then a guy from uh, American Fork High School, he's a tight end, Noah Moyaki. He has verbally committed to BYU, and he did that on April 14, uh, 2019. He's a three-star prospect, ranked number five in the state, and 39th ranked linebacker 
and that's what he's actually going to go with in college is being an outside linebacker. Also plays tight end for the Cavemen. Uh, Utah was his second Division One offer, which was uh, sent to him on April 15th, so the day after he verbally committed to BYU. Um, other offers that he has received was Utah State, but has picked up interest from Northwestern, Notre Dame, Oregon State, Stanford, and UCLA. And then an athlete from Weber High School, Isaiah Moa. He is the son of former Utah tight end Ben Moa. Um, he is a three-star prospect from Weber High School. He has picked up offers from Utah, BYU, Utah State, and Weber State. His offer from Utah came on June 7th. And then Puna Alatini, who is an athlete from Tempe High School. He, uh, he has not received offers other than from the Utes. Uh, 24-7 Sports has not given him a rating or has ranked him, and neither has the 24-7 Sports Composite. So you guys can check out all of the out-of-state recruits over at kslsports.com. There's plenty of them. All right, final thing here, and then we will uh, take a break. Now, something that ha- has come across the news cycle, and I'm going to put this out here right now. This is not a political rant. It's not. I'm not into that. I want to stick to sports. Obviously, my job is to, is to put all the facts out there. Obviously, I'm not pushing for a certain political side. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to inform you, but also to give you guys my opinions because I, I have opinions. I, I've been covering the youth since 2010. I've been a fan uh, prior to that, and so I have thoughts. And some things that have uh, transpired over the last week or so, especially around the Big Ten. Now, the Big Ten's a mess. We all know that. And so is the Pac-12 because they followed suit. And I'm not saying that when they chose to postpone fall sports that it was wrong to do. Because conferences, at least as far as their jobs, they have one job to do. The main job is to make sure that staff members and student athletes in their conference are safe. And that's what these commissioners are trying to do. And I know that you're all going to come at me and say, well, what about the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12? They're all still playing in the fall. I know. And I think that there's a way to play. It's just I felt like that they threw in the towel early. I mean, when you're already, you know, canceling the uh, fall season in August, rather than just moving it back and seeing where we're at as a country and as a region, I felt like was was not the right move. But again, I'm in the media. I'm not, I'm not the commissioner. But there is one thing. So on... Tuesday, President Trump called up Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. And according to both a a statement from the president and from Kevin Warren, it was a productive conversation. And the uh, president tweeted out that he wants to see Big Ten football. We all want to see Big Ten football. But the president didn't call the Mountain West, didn't call the MAC, didn't call the Pac-12. And that's as of the time of this podcast. It could change within the next couple of weeks or even days. Now, here's where I'm at with this. And this has no slight to the Big Ten, even though I know that that's a mess. But this is where it is a problem for the Pac-12. And I know I am preaching to the choir here, but Commissioner Larry Scott is not the man to lead this conference moving forward. Why? Well, you've all seen how he, how he spends money, 
having the uh, Pac-12 headquarters in San Francisco, which is extremely expensive. And then to also have a network that is completely funded by the conference. And he already had to lay off a good chunk of his staff from the Pac-12 networks. And as you've seen, a good friend of the uh, Pac-12 networks and everyone loves him on TV is Mike Yam. He's one of the guys who was laid off. But to see so many other people getting laid off from that conference network, but then you look at the ACC network, you look at the SEC network, who runs those networks? ESPN does. Why couldn't you come up with some kind of network that teamed up with either Fox Sports, CBS, ESPN? Instead, you had to go do your own thing. So that's the first thing. And that's not even, you know, that's just stating the obvious. Now, the other thing is, if you're going to be a conference commissioner, you need to be a leader. You need to innovate. You need to create. But you also need to lead. And Larry Scott is not a leader. He is a follower. And it shows because if you look at what the Big Ten did, when they canceled fall sports, they did it at 1.04 p.m. Mountain Time on August 11th. When did the Pac-12 officially postpone fall sports? Their official release came out on Twitter at 2.16 p.m. Mountain Time on August 11th. Doesn't take a lot of math to figure that out. That was an hour and 12 minutes apart. And we also know how the Big Ten and the Pac-12 work together. Their non-college football playoff team, best team, is going to play one another in the Rose Bowl. That is how it's set up. The Rose Bowl has the best team that doesn't make it to the college football playoff from the Big Ten and from the Pac-12. So they have that relationship. We do know that this is also through presidents and chancellors. But I feel like, and I have a really good hunch, and again, it's just a hunch, it's not sources, that... I know that the presidents and chancellors voted to not play the season in the fall for the Pac-12. Just like the Big Ten announced that they, you know, their, their presidents and chancellors voted 11-3 to to postpone. Now, of what could have happened is the Pac-12 commissioner, Larry Scott, could have put together a plan. Rather than, and I'm, I'm just going to put it this way, a follower to the Big Ten. Commissioner Scott just took the easy way out, looked over to the, to the Big Ten, said, oh, well, they're not playing. Well, why are we? It's obviously going to be trending because then, you know, we could be out there in front and be in, you know, some of the first Power Five conferences to not play football in the fall to make a statement that this is a serious pandemic. While it is a serious pandemic, you're still seeing protocols being put in place for the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC. You're not seeing that from the Pac-12. They're not going to follow suit. They're still going forward with a football season. And then you look at the Big Ten potentially playing towards the end of November. And then the Pac-12 is like, oh, well, we got to think of something too. We can't be the only Power Five conference that isn't going to play. Come on now. If you're going to lead this conference, lead. If you want to be the commissioner of this conference, be the commissioner of this conference and lead this conference. Commissioner Scott's far from that. And his contract is up in 2022, and I hope, and it sounds like, he will not be getting a new contract. And I know that Pac-12 fans will be thrilled if that happens. Because he has cut so many people. Yet again, I know he's cut his own salary, but the guy is making, what, $5 million a year? 
which is one of the highest paid commissioners in, in all of college sports. And you've also seen some of the reports out there that he hasn't paid loans from when he first moved to, to San Francisco to buy a really nice house. When he became the commissioner in 2009, he's not the man for the job. Find somebody else, and I hope that the presidents, ADs, chancellors will all feel the same way. And I've had him on the podcast. It wasn't to talk about problems going on in the, the uh, conference because he probably would not agree to come on. He came on because it was the 10-year anniversary of conference realignment when Utah officially took the invitation to join the Pac-10, leaving the Mountain West Conference. So that's all I got to say is that don't follow the Big Ten. Do your own thing. If you feel like that you can put together a plan that is well thought out, that will keep student-athletes safe. I even put a plan on, and uh, I talked about it on this podcast. I mean, it's not probably the end answer, but I think it's a start. But I feel like Commissioner Scott didn't even do that. So those are my thoughts. Something that we're going to be doing that's going to be really, really fun, because I know that this Thursday, which marks the 3rd of September, which was supposed to be Utah-BYU, I know that that's going to be a tough day for Ute fans. It'll be a tough day for me because I wish I was going to be up at Rice-Eccles Stadium covering the game. Heck, even if we weren't going to have this game, I was hoping to be covering a game on the 26th, but that's not going to happen. But we're going to do the next best thing. So recently, I've been going through my storage room. You know, in quarantine, you're doing things on your uh, honeydew list that you normally wouldn't be doing unless there's a pandemic or if you're really bored. And working in sports, you're never really bored, except during a, a pandemic. And I'm not really bored anyway, but... I do have to have days off, and when you can't go out and do anything, you really just start cleaning out storage rooms and garages and sheds and all that stuff. So that's what I've been doing. Now, when I was looking through some stuff, I found the last college football game to ever be made, NCAA 14. And it's for Xbox 360, which I still own. It doesn't work that great, but it still works, and I can still play the game. So I've been playing that for the last little while. And somebody decided, just some random person, decided to go through all of the FBS schools and update the rosters to have the 2020 players that you're able to download and play with on NCAA 14. So I did that, and it's really cool. So I talked to my boss. Big shout-out to Nate Dowdle. And we're going to do this uh, again. You guys are going to have to follow me on Twitter for the latest on this. Because the plan was originally for Thursday, but it might end up being Friday. Um, so I will let you know for sure. So make sure you guys keep tabs at Trevor A Sports and at KSL Sports on, on Twitter. We're going to stream the Utah-BYU game. I've got the 2020 rosters ready to go. I've got the depth charts set. And I've already been testing it. I'm just waiting for one last piece of equipment that will allow me to stream this. And we're going to stream this on the KSL Sports Facebook page. I believe we're also going to do it on Twitch. Um, again, I'll give you guys all the details once that comes down. Now, this is going to be really cool. I know you guys are probably thinking, ah, it's just video games. Well, it's watching a football game that's as close as you can get without actually playing the game. I mean, they have ratings and everything for these guys. And that was why you guys probably noticed, if you guys follow KSL Sports on Twitter, throughout the last week, I put out two Twitter polls. Who would you start at quarterback and who would you start at running back? Because those were the two big battles going into fall camp. And the winner of those polls are going to be starting for Utah when they play BYU on this stream. So Jake Bentley will get the start at quarterback. 
Jordan Wilmore is going to get the start at running back. Now, I'm going to be doing this every single week. I'm going to go back to Utah's old schedule, the original one, before they went to conference only, and we're going to play those games. Now, the problem is I cannot change the Pac-12 schedule on Dynasty Mode. Whoever was slated for Utah's schedule in 2013 in conference play, that's who is going to be on this schedule. But as far as non-conference, you're going to see against BYU at Wyoming, and then rather than doing, because they, they were supposed to play a team out of the FCS in the Montana State Bobcats, since they don't have that actual team, they only have like, they, they have like the FCS East, FCS West, all that stuff. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to slip in the Utah State Aggies in that slot. So you guys will get a chance to watch Jason Shelley, and you guys will get a chance to watch Devontae Henry Cole go up against their, their former team. The, the schedule is going to be a little bit weird because they have like Oregon State playing in week three. So it'll be BYU first, and then we're going to do at Wyoming, and then we're going to do Oregon State, and then we're going to do the Utah State game. And then after that, we'll go into conference play. There will be Oregon on there and Stanford, which – on the original schedule, they were not in the regular season slate. I can't help anything with that, but it's still going to be cool to see how this plays out. So, we're going to do this on the actual game days, or try to. And we're going to do it in a time that's, that doesn't interfere with, I know I, w- I would say the Utah Jazz, but they just got eliminated in Game 7 on Tuesday night against the Denver Nuggets. But it won't interfere with RSL, the BYU game, and anything like that. So, if you're a fan of those other teams and still want to catch this, no worries. We will not conflict with those. But we will do it on those game days. Again, except for this week, it'll be either Thursday or Friday. I'm waiting for one part to come in to make this work in order to stream this, and the shipping has been delayed. So make sure you guys follow me on Twitter, at Trevor A Sports, and at KSL Sports, we will tell you everything. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, there's some college basketball news uh, out there about potentially starting around the end of November. We'll talk about that and, and what that means for, for the running Utes and also the Pac-12 on the other side. And also something that we're going to be doing every episode is on this day in Utah football history, you're listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. This is the Crimson Corner Podcast. I'm your host and Utes insider, Trevor Allen. 
Thank you guys so much for tuning in. It's kind of crazy that, uh, you know, for a little while, since we don't know what's going to happen with college football, I know Kyle Whittingham talked about it when he met with the media last week. But there's really not a lot to talk about, but that's not really the case. And if I've learned anything from being a sports writer and podcast host through a pandemic is that you've got to get creative on your beats. And that's what I've had to do since March. So I guess what's another couple of months, right? Okay. Now, there is one thing out there regarding college basketball. There, It has been reported by Matt Norlander of CBS Sports that the NCAA men's and women's basketball oversight committees have jointly agreed to start the college basketball season on November 25th, which is the day before Thanksgiving. But what the next step is, is to put together a document that would be presented to the Division I Council, which they are, they are scheduled to meet on the 16th of this month, so just in, in two weeks from now. And the council will need to vote to approve the proposal. Another thing that, that is critical that Norlander pointed out is that the next six to eight weeks will, will be critical in monitoring the environment in the United States and college athletics. And you guys have seen there have been some outbreaks, especially on the campus of Alabama. They had a lot of positive tests, and it wasn't just the football team. It's the entire campus, so students, teachers, all of that. Now, they didn't mention anything about whether or not the tournament will be pushed back because of the delayed start. And as you know, the 2020 NCAA tournament was canceled due to the, to the, to the coronavirus outbreak. Utah wasn't going to qualify for the NCAA tournament anyway because they uh, played in one of the last games of the college basketball season when they lost to Oregon State in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. Now, according to, to Norlander, something that you'll notice is that this is the oversight committees for college basketball. They are willing to start on the 25th. But the thing is, a month and a half later is when the Pac-12 fall sports and all competitions, so this includes basketball too now, they weren't going to start up until January 1st. That was with, with that announcement that the football season wasn't, wasn't going to be played in the fall, and it was all fall sports, but then they also said this also means basketball will not be playing until January 1st, 2021, at least. But since then, according to Norlander, he's had sources that are saying that the Pac-12 conference is willing to make it work. Okay, you're, you're willing to make college basketball work when this is in a, a stadium or arena. So closed space. But football, you're not willing to start even in the, the month of November. Now, that's also puzzling to me. Again, just throwing that out there. Because football, you're playing in out, outdoors, which is safer. I mean, it's not, it's not the cure, but it's safer than playing in an actual arena. And when you're not in an actual bubble. I know, that, I know that the NBA played in arenas, but they were in a bubble. And it sounds like bubbles won't work in college sports. Which I have thoughts on that, but we could talk about that a different day. But it sounds like the Pac-12 conference is willing to look at potentially playing the day before Thanksgiving. And it sounds like the uh, oversight committees for both men's and women's basketball are going to move forward anyway. They're not going to delay their, their start to, to uh, accommodate the Pac-12 that they would start with or without them. Now, 
some of the obstacles out there, and it sounds like it wasn't discussed much, according to Norlander, is of what the schedule structure will look like if the season does start on the 25th of November. Will the uh, non-conference slate still be played, or will it be conference only? Because when the when the Pac-12 announced that everything was going to be postponed until January 1st, we were assuming, because that's normally when college basketball's conference play starts, at least for the Pac-12, starts in January. But because they added more conference games last year that was going to begin this year, it was going to start a month earlier. And so maybe you're going to have to scrunch up the, the schedule, bunch it up, if you're going to play in January and do conference only and not do a non-conference slate. But if you're starting two months earlier than what you were thinking, or I guess a month and a half, if you will, that it wasn't going to be, you know, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to have to scramble now to try and schedule some non-conference games? Or what? So that'll be the next month will be interesting and crucial for the future of college basketball. All right. Now let's switch gears back to football. On this day in Utah football history, there are three games that happened on the 2nd of September. The first one happened 16 years ago in 2004. It was the beginning of a fantastic season. It was when the 2004 Utah football team opened up the season at home against Texas A&M. And this game was not close, just like many of the other games. It started out with a Steve Savoy 78-yard touchdown catch from Alex Smith, and then Savoy ran in a 9-yard touchdown, and then Smith ran in a 7-yard touchdown, and then John Madsen caught a 38-yard touchdown pass from Alex Smith before A&M even scored. And then they ended up scoring once, so Utah was ahead 27-7 to at the half, and then in the third quarter, Alex Smith ran in a 37-yard touchdown. And then A&M scored once, start of the fourth quarter. And then Jerome Wright caught a 13-yard touchdown pass from Alex Smith midway through the sec- uh, fourth quarter to be up 41-14. to And then with 10 seconds left, A&M scored a touchdown on a five-yard run, and Utah won 41-21. to Now the stats for that game, Alex Smith went 21 of 29, passing for 359 yards, three touchdowns through the air. And then on the ground, Smith had 13 carries for 76 yards and two scores. Marty Johnson had 20 carries for 77 yards. Quinton Ganther ran the ball six times for 31 yards. And then as far as the receivers, Paris Warren had seven catches for 116 yards. Travis Latondras had five catches for 69 yards. John Madsen, three catches. And Jerome Wright with two catches. On top of Savoy had five catches for 108 yards and a touchdown. And obviously we all know what happened with that 2004 team, went on to go undefeated and become the first non-BCS school to win a BCS bowl game when they beat Pitt in the Fiesta Bowl. And then this also happened a year later on, on the second. In 2005, when Utah pulled out a 27-24 win over the Arizona Wildcats, Started out with a field goal by Nick Folk, who went on to play in the NFL, and then a field goal by Dan Beardall for Utah that tied the game at three. And then midway through the second quarter, Quinton Ganther caught a 47-yard pass from Brian Johnson for a touchdown to put Utah up 10-3 to at the half. And then third quarter was both teams put up points. Mike Thomas caught a 13-yard pass for the Arizona Wildcats to tie the game. And then a 59-yard touchdown run from Brent Castile 
gave the Utes the lead back, and then a 10-point lead after a 45-yard field goal from Dan Beardall. And then this is what kind of put Utah ahead for good was when Eric Weddle had a 24-yard pick six to put him up 27-10 to late in the third quarter. And then just before the uh, third quarter ended, Arizona scored a touchdown to put them within 10. And then with nine minutes and 23 seconds left, Arizona was able to get one touchdown to pull within three. But Utah's defense held on to win after that. Johnson finished with 19 of 30 passing for 220 yards and one touchdown. Quinton Ganther had 24 carries for 124 yards and then two catches for 50 yards and a touchdown. Johnson ran the ball five times for 18 yards. Brent Castile, four rushes for 74 yards and a touchdown. Also three catches for 31 yards. And then for that season, Utah went on to win seven games. They went seven and five in the first season under Kyle Whittingham as the head coach, and they beat Georgia Tech, the, the 24th-ranked Georgia Tech squad, 38-10 to 10 in the Emerald Bowl. And that was when they had Calvin Johnson, Megatron, for the Yellow Jackets. And then the last one, in 2010, Utah hosted Pitt. It was a rematch of the 2004 Fiesta Bowl team just six years later. And Utah was taken on a team who came into the game ranked number 15 in the country. It was an overtime win, 27-24. to Started out with a Deion Lewis run to put Pitt up in the second quarter to start, or, you know, early on in the second quarter. And then back-to-back touchdown catches from uh, Jeremy Brooks from Jordan Wynn um, to put Utah ahead 14-7. to And then Joe Phillips kicked a field goal to put him up by 10. And then after two field goals from Pitt, uh, one late in the third and one early in the fourth, put them within four points. Devontae Christopher caught a 61-yard touchdown pass from Jordan Wynn to put him up by 11. And then Pitt answered with a touchdown and a two-point conversion as well as a field goal to tie the game. Uh, They ended up kicking a 30-yard field goal to tie the game as time expired. And then in overtime, Joe Phillips made a 21-yard field goal to pick up the win. So that's on this day in Utah football history. If you want to look ahead a little bit, uh, in 2015, uh, on the 3rd of September, it will mark five years since Utah beat Michigan 24-17 to at home to open up the season. All right, and that will do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter. I'm at Trevor A. Sports and at Trevor Allen KSL on Instagram. And then you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at KSL Sports. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's always powered by kslsports.com. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind 
only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.